if they focus on the money, they can make a lot of money. But if they focus on the whole person, not just the money, but the relationships, the family, their health, their community, their spirituality, if they if they look at all those areas, they don't just have a lot of money, they're successful. And so humor plays a role in every single one of those areas. It's taking what you are doing that you're good at and making you great at it. Welcome to the Mind for Life podcast. The Mind for Life podcast. Where your thinking can change your life. And now, here's your host, Jeff Bogazic. Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to the Mind for Life podcast. I am your host, Jeff Bogazic, and I want to welcome you here where we help you to think, learn, and hopefully live a little bit better. I want to thank you so much for joining with us today, and we have an incredible guest. Her name is Karen Buxman. Karen is a TEDx speaker, a incredibly successful author, and a neurohumorist. Yes, you heard that right. Neurohumorist. She's a pioneer in her field where she shows high performers how to expand their influence, strengthen their relationships, and boost their resilience. She has spoken to people from NASA to the Mayo Clinic to the Million Dollar Roundtable companies hire Karen to educate, inspire, and entertain their audiences again and again. She's written a ton of books and has a new one coming out published by Forbes. It's called Funny Means Money, and that will be out this year in 2018. So be sure to keep your antenna up for that. She has appeared in publications such as USA Today, Investors Business Daily, Forbes, Shape, and Women's Day. She's one of 194 professionals and one of only 43 women in the world to be inducted into the National Speakers Association's Speaker Hall of Fame. She has spoken around the world and her topic is humor. And so today you're going to hear from her why Humor is vital for success in life and business. But before we get to the interview, let me just give a couple of quick announcements. First of all, the show notes for this podcast. You can find them at mindforlife.org slash 055. And there you will find some more information about Karen, the resources and places where you can connect with her, um, as well as links to all of her books. That is mindforlife.org slash 055. And I want to encourage you to stick around to the end because you're going to hear from me my top takeaways, the things that I um, learned the most from my time speaking with Karen. And let me just say, it was an incredible interview, one of the best times I've had talking with people. So very informative and enjoyable, and I hope you enjoy the interview as well. But the top takeaways uh, you'll hear at the end, and you can also find them 
on the show notes page, mindforlife.org slash 055. And then finally, if you're interested in our Mind for Life Essential Skills for Success in Life and Business course, all of the information can be found at that same page. So if you are new to the podcast, we are going through for 2018, one skill each week. I've taken the 52 essential skills that I believe are the most essential for success in life and business. And we're walking through that this year, 2018, each week. And this week we're talking about a sense of humor. So it's great to have Karen with us. And without any further ado, let's go ahead and get right into the interview with Karen Buxman. Karen, thank you so much for coming on the program today. It is a thrill to have you with us, if I can say it that way. We're glad that you're here. <laughs> thank um, you. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so do me a favor, if you would, and we've just read through your bio, but give us a little bit more, maybe a little bit more detail, if you would, on on where you've come from and how you've gotten to where you are today. I know, I know what your listeners are thinking, Jeff. They're thinking... Another neuro humorist? Oh my gosh, this guy he can't find anybody. <laughs> right, because I've had you know we've just done ten interviews with them with uh, with the other yeah, ones, right? The last ten neuro humorists, right? right. And, and I love living at the intersection of humor and the brain, and this is something that I fell into, uh, and I'm so glad that I did. But my background actually is nursing. I still have a license. It's just that I haven't put my hands on a patient to treat them. You know, other than an occasional accident victim in the last, you know, 25 years now. So um, my background in teaching led me to um, go back to graduate school. And in graduate school, I was working on my master's, my thesis, my research, and convinced my advisors to let me study the effects of humor on health and communication. And it was mind-blowing to me. It was so mind-blowing that it was a pivotal point in my life and it changed the course of my life. I had planned on, you know, spending the rest of my life teaching nursing and and working in healthcare and living in Hannibal, Missouri, you know, with the with the station wagon yeah, and the, mm-hmm. you know, kids and the whatever. And this has taken me around the world because the benefits of humor um are are so much and there's so much that I want to share with you today. I'm so excited that Good. you're interested in this because uh, you know, it's like wherever there's one or two people who are interested in humor, I want to be there. Yeah. And so, you know, you and I were talking about the benefits. It's like, why would anybody want to, why would anybody want to study this? Why would anybody want to take time? And, you know, the truth is that humor can be entertaining and there's, everybody loves being entertained. Who doesn't love laughing, right? I mean, everybody loves laughing. Makes you feel good. But what I discovered was that if you use humor intentionally, There's two primary areas, two primary benefits that everybody listening to this can experience. One one side of the the map is is influence. Mm -hmm. And under influence, that has to do with communication. It has to do with building relationships. And it has to deal with persuasion and how you can, you know, uh, get people to do things that you want them to do or teach them and all, you know, all of that kind of stuff, sales, leadership, entrepreneurship, all of those things. And, And even just having a relationship with your family. I mean, influence is really important. The other piece that falls out of it is well-being. Mm-hmm. 
And under well-being would be all different kinds of health issues, which you and I can talk about. It, resiliency, which is huge. I mean, you look at the, the level of stress in our country, in the world, and the people who are self-reportedly saying, man, I am just maxed out and you know feeling crummy and depressed and overwhelmed. So resiliency is really important. And even getting into spirituality. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are areas. So under influence and under well-being that we, we just have hours and hours and hours to talk about. So I hope your listeners are ready. Uh, well, we're re I'm ready. So let me ask you about that because sure. my formal educational training uh, is in rhetoric, actually. So it's it's about persuasion. It's about influence. Wow, nice. Does the research show that humor affects that i mean are 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 people that are funnier or and and let maybe we can even start by qualifying what does it mean to be humorous is it a a world view is it a a vibe or an aura that people possess is it a mindset is it a way of looking at things is it a characteristic or a quality that that can be developed i don't know i'm i'm, I'm asking for your input Oh, I love this. I love this. You know, and, and you're my kind of people because there, I mean, there, I don't know if you ever came across the saying, E.B. White said that humor is, um, you know, dissecting humor is like dissecting a frog. The thing dies in the process and the innards <laughs> are of interest, only the pure scientists. Nice. However, I love dissecting humor. And one of the things that you said is, is particularly important because being funny is not the same thing as having a sense of humor. Okay. And so when I am coaching and consulting and speaking for companies, especially high performers, um, one of the one of the first pushbacks I get is, well, you know, what if nobody laughs? What if I'm not funny? And I say, great, because you never have to tell a joke to practice humor. Right. So, I mean, that is just it's it's a relief for a lot of people. And uh, as you. I, as I told you uh, earlier when we chatted that I'm working on a book with Forbes and the concept of this book is about high performance humor. Is that, and, just give the name of the title and when it's coming out, we're going to, we're going to put a link to it maybe in the show notes for this program. So everybody can know. Um, the title is funny means money and um, it's being published by Forbes and it will be coming out in September of 2018. Okay, good. So, um, but one of the concepts that we developed for the book is called a humor quotient, your HQ. Everybody, okay. you know, everybody knows IQ, and then they knew EQ. Now you got your HQ. HQ. And what I realized, because for many years, I was trying to quantify or measure humor. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that was, it just, it escaped me. I couldn't figure this out. And then one day I had this blinding flash of the obvious that I wasn't measuring two, var one variable, I was measuring two. Mm -hmm. And so here's the two variables that we measure. One is humor appreciation and the other is humor application. Let mm -hmm. me tell you a little bit about this because humor appreciation is your ability to find that which amuses you that results in smiling or laughing or feelings of enjoyment. So that's what your humor appreciation is by my definition. That's your sense of humor. Can you find things that amuse you, whether it's a person or an experience or a, a, a meme or a, a, a most embarrassing moment or a joke or I mean, any, anything that results in your amusement that's smiling, laughing, or feeling good. The application piece, and this is the piece that's missing for most high performers, is the, in, this is 
several parts here. The first part is the intentional use of humor for a desired outcome. Paramount. Mm -hmm. That is, it's like, are you wanting it to build a relationship? Are you wanting it to decrease your stress? Are you wanting it to diffuse a situation? Are you in sales and trying to stay top of mind? I mean, you have any number of desired outcomes. So are you intentionally using humor for a desired outcome consistently and over time? Okay. On a scale of one to 10, you measure those two variables. And if you are, if you have a high level of appreciation and you have a high level of application, you're in the quadrant of what we call high performance humor. Okay. And these are the folks that are really rocking it when it comes to harnessing this to live a better life. And you know, one of the groups that I've, I have worked with on numerous occasions now is the, the Million Dollar Roundtable. And these folks are the top 1% of, of earners in the world um, in the area of insurance, financial planning, et cetera. And the thing that I love about these folks is that their business model embraces the philosophy of Mortimer Adler's whole person. And here's what makes them high performers. They recognize that if they focus on the money, they can make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. But if they focus on the whole person, not just the money, but the relationships, the family, their health, their community, their spirituality, if they, if they look at all those areas, they don't just have a lot of money, they're successful mm -hmm. and significant. And so humor plays a role in every single one of those areas. It's an overlay. It's a nuance. It's taking what you are doing that you're good at and making you great at it. I mean, is that mind blowing? It's uh, it's really interesting. So let me ask you this question: mm -hmm. When you so when you measure those, when you measure your HQ, okay, you, right. you're you're talking about the appreciation for humor, and I think a lot of people, maybe I'm wrong, there are some like sticks in the mud, you know, that maybe can't find, you know, laugh at, you know, if somebody does something, nobody can laugh, and I, I don't know, and maybe you can answer this question. On that side, and then on the other side, when you talk about the intentional application uh, consistently and over time. So, are there people that it just comes natural and they just, you know, like there's other qualities when you talk maybe about leadership or there's people that are just naturals at it. And then there's other people that do, in other words, does it take the humor out of humor when people are too strategic and say, okay, I'm going to, you know, robot, I'm going to tell the joke here and make sure that when I interview this person, there's going to be humor involved. So how do you, how does that become authentic? How does that become organic? Is it possible to develop and move that in that direction? Or do you have to like train people and can you train people? Oh man, you are asking so many great questions. And Yes, 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 and yes. I mean, there are some people who it's it's like, um, like in sports, there are some people like myself who even with a lot of lessons, I can I can hit a golf ball. Right. I'm never really going to be a good golfer. There are some people who are kind of natural at golf, and they're like they're really good. And then there's people like Tiger Woods, who at three 
was, you know, he could have outplayed me on any nine holes or 18 or I mean one hole. So, so there are some people who have a, a natural, uh, talent for humor. Uh And these folks, I think, uh, you know, what they can go, not just from good to great, but from great to amazing. And I have met many of these people who understand that they have that gift and they hone it. And, you know, you asked if, um, you know, can you take the humor out of humor? And it's, it's interesting that you should say that because on the, on the four quadrants, what that feels like to me would be somebody who is applying it more, which is the, the high, is high application, but not really appreciating it as much. Okay. So that's not that high performance because you know, they're, they're not enjoying it. It's, it's a have to, not a want to. I got you. Um, the other thing is, um, and in the book, it goes into much more detail, but I have identified some building blocks of humor. And one of the pieces that you hit on so brilliantly, I might add, is authenticity. Mm-hmm. And if you are trying to be something or, or someone that you're not, you're not going to be successful. Right. So, you know, if you're thinking, oh my gosh, I must tell a joke here and you're not a joke teller. Yeah. I got bad news for you. Yeah. Uh, you know, you are, you're going to die. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why, you know, it's important to understand what kinds of things come naturally to you. Another piece that's in the book, we call it humor constellation. Mm-hmm. And you identify, um, again, in a term of strength on a scale of one to 10, what kind of humor styles are natural to you? Is it mm-hmm. joke telling, storytelling, sarcasm, inside humor, uh, topical humor? Uh, you know, is it improv? Is it being you know wild and crazy? So there's different styles, and just like Gallup's measures strengths, you know, and you can right. build on your strengths. I encourage people to build on their strengths so that they don't have to feel inauthentic, and I always encourage them to maybe step a little bit out of your comfort zone, Uh but don't try to be something you're not. A gentleman that I so highly respect in the financial industry, Sandro Sandro Forte from the UK, said, uh, be the best at being you. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was such a great um, quote, a a great statement that you don't have to be somebody else. Because if you do, that's just a surefire way of of really – getting yourself into a very uncomfortable place and people, people will sense that you're just, you're trying too hard right, and it's right. not going to work. Yeah. It yeah. just doesn't feel right. So now does the book then, uh, like, I think part of that maybe is like developing a self-awareness, right? Maybe mm-hmm. being able to reflect upon, uh, and, and maybe that has to do with understanding the things that you appreciate when you talk about appreciating humor you know, you appreciate certain things. Those are the things that maybe resonate. So in the book, do you have like uh, uh, some type of a, and I, and I, I feel weird do, talking about like, okay, we're going to take a humor <laughs> assessment. You know what I mean? Because it just seems yeah. like when you say, oh, we're going to assess our humor, we're like moving into the scientific and outside of the authentic. But do you have things that can help maybe people to quantify or recognize or understand? Maybe that's the term where, what type of thing fits for them and that that should, that's, that's something they can pursue. Yes. Um, there are different kinds of things that will feel more authentic, will feel more natural and that you will, will be more, um, 
comfortable and confident. And that's really important. Right. Being comfortable and confident is, is huge in this. Um, you know, and a lot of this is about raising your awareness. It's not, you know, it's, and, and I have worked with leaders literally around the planet. Um, and what I have found is that many of them are not humor initiators. They're humor appreciators. Okay. And so they don't necessarily say anything funny themselves mm -hmm. or even do anything funny themselves, but they're very good at encouraging it in others, supporting it in others, um, just kind of helping others develop it, model it, mentor it. Uh, I don't know how, if any of you, of your listeners have read uh, a book that was recently released by uh, Sean Aker, The Big Potential, which is a wonderful book. And it's, it's a really great twist on what makes us successful. Mm -hmm. And the twist in the book is that success is not about always focusing on how you can do better. That what we're finding now is that from the big picture, a greater success can be accomplished when we're all trying to help each other. Right. Be better. Yeah. Well, this comes straight out of improv. Uh -huh. Second, that one of the rules of improv is you don't put the focus on yourself. You don't try to be the funniest one in the troop. Uh -huh. If you can make other people look funny, yeah, then that raises the whole level. Quick, quick story about this. My son makes me look like paint drying on a wall. This <laughs> kid is so funny, and he studied for a number of years with Second City. Uh huh. But he's the starving artist, and I go up to Chicago to feed him because he hasn't had a real meal other than a mayonnaise ranch dressing sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> and we're at a restaurant, and I'm trying to delicately approach. It's like, you know, so just in case, you know, you don't end up on Saturday Night Live, is there some way <laughs> that this, this improv stuff is ever going to serve you? Yeah. And at the time, he was working in the hospitality industry as a, as a waiter and bartender, and he said, you know, mom, I've always gotten better tips than the rest of my crew because I'm funny. But once I started improv, I realized that every table I wait on, there's somebody at a table that thinks they're funny too. And I started looking at my tables like troops. He said, mom, when I'm funny, I get good tips. But when I can make that person look funnier than me, I get amazing tips. Mm. And I was like, what a brilliant insight. And how could we all benefit from that by helping other people experience more humor, appear more funny, laugh more, because the science shows that these factors do in fact help in influence, help in persuasion. You're, you know, being a, a studier that you are uh, a student of, of, rhetoric. I'm, I'm sure you've read Cialdini's book on influence. Yep. And when you look at his, you know, I call them pillars. I don't remember what he calls them, but, but things like, you know, one of the, one of the primary means of influencing another is simply likability. Mm -hmm. Humor is a wonderful way to engage another person and develop that, that feeling of likability. And anybody here who is in business or who has ever done business or gone into a store would recognize that all things being equal, 
we'd way rather do business with a person or an organization that's fun right. or has a sense of humor, right? Yeah. L- let me ask you, so when you talk about the, I, I think that is an incredible insight, the, the wisdom uh, in improv of making someone else better and how important that is really to success. I think that's incredible. Like the, the, the wisdom that's found deep down in, in humor, uh, when it comes to other people is, is, is really smart. Do you find that you were talking about the CEOs that empower people to be humorous? Do you find that those that appreciate it more that when they move into that more intentional application, that that exponentially raises their quote unquote success or self-perception or the way other people see them as well. Absolutely. I, I, one of the, my, my favorite case studies right now in the book is about a company in New York city, Peppercom Mm -hmm. digital communication company. And the, the CEO of this company, he's just so brilliant. And he was at a point where the business was doing well. He was doing well. It was like, you know, everything's going great. What next? And he said two things changed his life. One was that he took up mountain climbing with his son and they've climbed four to seven peaks. Okay. I can't help with that. (laughs) But the other was that he took a class on standup and he said it was so life changing for him that he asked his teacher to come to his company and do a workshop for his staff on improv and comedy. And when the, when the staff found out they they were moaning and groaning and complaining, but by the end of the day, they were raving fans. And he said, immediately there was an uptick in communication. He said, people who had been separated all this time that got along together, but they were separated by cubicles. Now they're hanging out together after work and doing things together. He said that the, the vibe that they put off, their corporate culture was putting off, um, started attracting like-minded clients mm-hmm. and that the stuff shirts started falling by the wayside, but that they were enjoying their clientele much more because they were fun people to work with within a year this company of 50 employees beat out Acuity, Apple, uh, several other, uh, they were rated number one best place to work in New York City. And now other companies want them to come in and teach them how to incorporate this mindset. So he said, you know, they could, another thing in terms of recruitment and retention, you know, their retention went way high. It wasn't that bad to begin with, but in terms of recruitment, uh, he gave an example. He said, you know, we have a couple of intern positions here every year. And he goes, we usually get about uh, 150, um, people who want to submit. He said, we're getting more like 1500 now because the millennials say, oh, here's a fun place to work. Right. And other companies are like, how are you engaging these millennials? And so, um, you know, it's it's an extremely profitable thing for businesses to do. Huh. Isn't it? I love it. That's incredible. I mean, you think about like, if you have, let's just say you're a, a business owner or a C, C-level 
uh, officer or something like that, and you look at your organizational culture and you recognize this thing is in trouble, what a way to spark a change uh, than with something like, I mean, who would ever, who would ever think that? We're going to do a, we're going to have a session on learning how to do stand up and, and, and we're going to revolutionize our organizational culture with it. I mean, it's amazing, really, when you think about it. Yeah. 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 Now, here's something to note by what you just said, because here's what my experience has been over the last 25 years. And that is many times leaders will reach out to me when things are in crisis. They're like, we're in trouble. And they want me to come in, make their employees laugh, put a Band-Aid on a brain tumor. And then when I leave, nothing changes. Right. And the fact is that you know one of the habits that a high performer needs to have is to walk the talk. You yeah. can't just say, you change your attitude or firings will continue until morale improves. You know, it's <laughs> right. like, you gotta, you gotta walk the talk. And and model this for people. You can't just beat them into submission. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's almost like the attitude is caught. Yes. Right? If you model it and if it's a part of who you are as an authentic leader, people catch it and, and they, they begin to, uh, they begin to make it a part of their own life as well. That's really, yeah. really great. Yes. Um, so let me ask you this question. We, that's, we could uh, listen. We could talk about that all day. I'm, I'm telling you right now, I could talk about that all day. But <laughs> let's get into some of the benefits. So you talked a little bit earlier about some of the benefits that humor can bring to your life. So why yeah. why is it important to to be uh, more appreciative of the humor that you find in the world around you? And why is it important to be a little bit more humorous yourself, maybe for both the personal side? And you've already talked a little bit more about the business side, but what are some of the benefits that people can get from being more humorous? So let's start with um, well-being. I mean, from a personal perspective, uh, this is this is how I first got launched into this through this particular funnel because there is a lot of science to demonstrate what the benefits are now of humor and this mm-hmm. really was kind of how the door opened a lot of people recognize the story about Norman Cousins he was the the gentleman he was the editor of the Saturday Evening Post who back in the 70s was suffering from a disease called I'll say it slowly ankylosing spondylitis, which is a degenerative disease. Mm-hmm. And oh, candy- that. oh, that one. Oh, that one. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, I hear it. I know that one. I know all uh, about that. <laughs> so he had ankylosing spondylitis, which is a degenerative disease. And, uh, you know, he, he was in pain all of the time. And he partnered with a very close friend of his, Alan Funt, who was the producer of Candid Camera. Now, um, that's not been on for a while, so some of your listeners, if you don't know what Candid Camera is, Google it. Go look, you know, or go to YouTube because you're missing something. But what it was was that, you know, Alan Funt, he brought to him reels and reels of of comedy films, and and with the um, uh, approval of his doctor, he checked in actually across the street from the hospital and, you know, with, with good diet, nutrition, fluids, and humor, 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 he found that 10 minutes of laughter could give him two hours of pain-free sleep. And wow. over time, they found that his inflammatory markers um, went down and eventually he basically reversed the disease, wow. which was unheard of at the time. 
And so he wrote about it. And this was really the springboard <clears throat> for a field that we now call psychoneuroimmunology. Okay. Or some people will call it psychoneuroendocrine immunology. But it's, it's basically the mind-body connection. Okay. And before that, we thought, okay, you know, the mind is one part and the body is another part and the two don't intertwine, which we now know you can't separate the two. Right, right. And so, you know, the, the wonderful thing about humor is that it is a, a whole brain experience and that every part of your brain is affected and that when you experience humor, there is this cascade of neurotransmitters that affect every system of your body. But a couple that would be probably top of mind for your listeners would be the, um, the circulatory system, which has to do like with heart mm -hmm. and the nervous system, um, which has to do with um, your mind. And so let's say, for instance, with, with your heart system, when you are experiencing humor, what science has shown is that the inflammation in your body, like Norman Cousins was experiencing, the inflammation goes down. Hmm. And when the inflammation goes down, your body is less inclined to need to lay down. Have you heard plaque, plaque in the arteries? Right, and right, plaque. right. Yeah. The reason your body is depositing plaque is because you have inflammation in your vessels. And it doesn't have to be a lot of inflammation, but your body is trying to soothe that inflammation by laying down right. plaque. So, you know, things like that, decreasing the inflammation in your body, which also decreases pain, decreases swelling. Um, it releases chemicals that feel good in your mind and, and in your brain, you know, dopamine mm -hmm. and oxytocin. Um, and so all of these different kinds of body systems are affected. Your immune system is, is improved. Psychologically, this is really helpful because humor is shown to be a healthy coping mechanism. Okay. A lot of people who are listening probably have one or two ways of dealing with stress that's not so healthy. You know, maybe it's smoking or drugs or drinking or overeating or road rage. It helps people to decrease their anxiety, decrease their stress, decrease their anger, express their anger in a socially acceptable way. And so psychologically, this has is, is been shown to be very, very helpful. Another interesting thing that is just starting to um, make itself known to the general public is the effects on, uh, on your body from social effects, okay. particularly isolation. People who feel isolated and, you know, maybe it's because you don't have any friends or maybe you're removed from your family or maybe you have a debilitating illness that mm -hmm. keeps you homebound. This kind of social isolation the response in the body we're finding is the equivalent of smoking almost a pack of cigarettes a day. Oh my. Yeah. And so humor is a way to help you feel connected to other people. When you're one-on-one -on -one with people, it's great. And this is a, a great means of connecting. But I work a lot with people who have disabilities. I'm on the advisory board of a group called Invisible Disabilities. Mm -hmm. A lot of these people suffer from chemical, uh, chemical sensitivities and they can't leave their homes. But they can reach out through social media and texts and other kinds of things, sharing humor, and it builds that bond and relationship and helps them feel like they have social connections. Right. And so this is a tremendous sense of well-being. I'm curious. Those are great. Do you know if there's any research that 
supports or or any any research that's been done for like heart disease, humor and heart disease, humor and high cholesterol, or yeah. some of these like diseases that we're seeing more and more people. Is there any research about like, you know, some of the quantitative effects or results Absolutely. of some of that stuff? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you knew this or not. I wrote a book called What's So Funny About Heart Disease. I did not know and that. It's not a joke book. It's actually on how to use humor to cope with your um, your heart disease uh -huh. and, and cardiovascular disease. And Dr. Michael Miller from Baltimore uh, wrote the foreword. He is somebody who's done a lot of research on humor and the cardiovascular system. And absolutely, I mean, they have quantified the lowering of LDL, the increase of HDL, the lowering of cortisol. This cortisol is really one of the bugaboos that creates lots of inflammation right. in your body. And so humor has been shown to decrease the cortisol, but it was his research where he actually looked, and this is technical for you, the endothelial lining of blood vessels, mm -hmm. but he found that the, it made them stretchier. Okay. And so the blood vessels could stretch more, which would lower blood pressure, okay. decrease the chance of stroke and heart attack. And so he's got a, a, quite a bit of research. If anybody's interested and wants the actual um, research article, I can I can send to them. Yeah, um, if you just send me the link and we'll put it on the page, that would be great. I'm interested yeah. in that stuff. That, I mean, that's really yeah. amazing to think about because nobody makes the connection. I mean, I think we all know that, yeah, a lot, you know, there's the, the verse, uh, laughter does a merry heart. Well, you know, like a medicine, you know, we hear those cliches and everyone's like, Oh yeah, it's fun to laugh and it's good to laugh, but we don't recognize that. Yeah. It actually helps your physical well being. In the, in the Ted talk, I talked a little bit about, um, the effects of humor on diabetes or mm -hmm. people with diabetes. Um, I, that was actually the first book I wrote in the series was called What's So Funny About Diabetes. And interestingly enough, they found that people who have diabetes or pre-diabetic, um, it, it, humor used consistently and intentionally lowered their blood sugar. Now, this was not an effect on people who didn't have diabetes. Mm -hmm. But for persons with diabetes, they could lower their blood pressure. I mean, lower their blood sugar. They still got the uh, benefits of lowering their LDL mm -hmm. and their cortisol and raising their HDL. But here is where it gets crazy great. And that is that scientists have done in repeated studies, they found that in Persons with diabetes who intentionally use humor over a period of time, it affected them not just at the cellular level, but beyond the cellular level. Mm -hmm. We are talking epigenetics here. We're talking not only could they cause good for their own well-being, but they could potentially cause good for future generations. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Is that amazing? That's one of the many ways how humor can help save the world. Well, that was my last question. You jumped the gun. <laughs> so since we've already hit that one, um, what can people do? Give us some practical things that people can do to uh, engage or develop a, a, a greater sense of humor. What are some things that people can do to utilize humor, almost like a medicine, and like you were talking about that? And, yeah. uh, and how can people develop the intentional act, aspect when you talk about the application? Right. As, as you and I mentioned earlier, um, 
you know, this is about the intentionality. It's about not going beyond knowing it's the doing. Yes. And in our brains, there is actually a, a part of your brain called the reticular activating system, the RAS, and it's a filter. And this filter allows us to see less of what we don't need to see and see more of what we want to see or what we're paying attention to. So say, for instance, you bought a red car, your RAS is going to be stimulated. Right. Now you're going to see, oh, red my gosh, everybody's got a red car. Yep. So, you know, when people and when I tell people to start start looking for the humor around them, a pushback I'll hear is oh, you don't understand. There's nothing funny happening in my life. Right. <laughs> and if that's your belief, that's your reality. Yeah. But if your if your belief is there's probably something here, what am I missing? Right. Your RAS will start helping you filter and start hearing. You start listening for what people are saying. You start listening. You know, I, there was somebody I was uh, in line behind at a hotel once, and it was down in Miami. And the guy asked the hotel clerk, "Can you tell me which beach is closest to the water?" It's like what? <laughs> Yeah, right. It's like, you know, those kinds of things that most people just they don't even pay attention to. But it's like once you start paying attention, it's like now you're you're, the doors are just blown open. Yeah. And here's another little uh, brain piece of of, uh, information. There's something called Hebb's law. And Hebb's law is that neurons that fire together wire together. Mm -hmm. And what we mean by that is this is how your habits are formed. Mm -hmm. This is how, you know, when you first time you drive a car, you feel like, oh my gosh, you know, I I can't keep my mind on all the things that I need to do. And then, you know, by the time you're in your twenties and, you know, thirties and forties, you get someplace and you think who was driving this car? I don't even remember where I was. So it's uh, the neurons that fire together, wire together, Hebb's law. Same thing can happen with humor. The more you practice seeing it, the more you practice sharing it, the more you practice doing it, the easier it becomes. I had a gentleman after one of my presentations once, he comes up to me and he, he says, were you always this funny? And I said, I don't know, maybe. I, <laughs> I, yeah, sure, I guess. And then, uh, you know, a month or so later, I saw my mom and I said, hey, mom, was I always funny? And she looked at me and smiled. And she goes, no. (laughs) And she said, no, you were the one with the sunny disposition. Uh But here's what I realized. And it was like, that was even better. Because once I started doing research, I started pushing that humor muscle. I started exercising that humor muscle. And now I can't stop seeing humor. I don't want to stop sharing humor. I see it all the time. So the very first thing I would encourage people to do is to just start telling themselves there is humor around me. What am I missing? Start rewiring your brain. Second, seek humor from others. This is being a humor appreciator without ever having to be a humor initiator. Mm -hmm. If you ask a family member, a customer, a colleague, a student, somebody, you know, oh, you know, what's something funny your kid said? Or what's the craziest thing your customer uh, shared? Or what's your most embarrassing moment? They will assume that you have a sense of humor, even though you didn't say something funny. Mm -hmm. And then now let's go back to Cialdini's influence. Mm -hmm. They like having somebody with a sense of humor. You are now increasing your likability. Mm -hmm. You didn't ever say anything, but seek it from other people. And if you really want to take it up a level, share that with somebody else, because now through sharing it, you're reinforcing that you're rewiring your neurons. You're getting a hit of dopamine. Somebody else is getting the benefit and a hit of dopamine. And so everybody wins. And then, um, my last piece of advice would be, if you really want to take this up another notch, uh, get a humor accountability partner. 
Um, my best friend here in San Diego is the um, executive director for the American Institute of Stress, Dr. Mm-hmm. Heidi Hanna. And she very openly talks about her challenges with depression. And okay. she recognizes that humor is a very valuable tool in dealing with stress and depression. And so we made an agreement that I would send her some humor every day. Mm-hmm. And and I've kept this up, you know, for years now, but here's what I found. Number one, it helps her. Number two, it helps me because every day I am proactively looking for humor. And mm-hmm. the more I look for it, the more I find it. And so an accountability partner will, will keep you accountable. And for her every once in a while, if she's in need of, of a little extra boost, maybe on social media or something, she'll say, you know, hey, people send me something funny. And that's her code for, you know, not feeling so good. Can you send me a little bit of humor? And through accountability partners, you can nurture this and you can go from good to great or great to awesome. And you will really, truly experience, you know, a life well lived, your best life. That's wonderful. So I'm going to ask the next question. Do you have a resource, a da- your daily prescription of humor that you send out like our listeners could say, hey, I want to sign me up for that, right? Because I, I believe there's a lot of people that say, yeah, I'll take that. Give me the best that you got every day yeah. and make me laugh. Uh, do you have something like that? Absolutely. Well, you know, on social media, if you go to my my Facebook page, uh, which is Karen Buxman Speaks, mm-hmm. we post something there every day. Um, on Twitter, we post something every day. And um, being released this fall with the book is going to be um, an online course that people can actually okay. take. But in the meantime, if people go to the website, they sign up for the easing. We'll send them information. We won't blast you. I'm not going to cram right, things right. down. That's not funny. Right. Um, but, you know, if it updates on the book that's coming and additional resources, a great resource that's a nonprofit. I have no financial ties to them. But um, AATH.org is the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Okay. They have an abundance of resources. I'll make sure that you have that link so that you can put that on your website as well. They have a conference every year. This year um, in mid-April, it's going to be in San Diego. Oh, nice. And then in 2018, it's going to be in Chicago. Okay. But it's very it's, a, it's all about applied humor. So those that's just one of the many resources that I can provide for you and your listeners. That is wonderful. Karen, it's been wonderful. I'm telling you the truth that it's been wonderful to talk to you and uh, such an important thing that I think slips below the surface of our conscious awareness. We just don't recognize it, but how powerful really. Thank Uh, you. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming on the program and uh, we've appreciated having you. Well, it's been my pleasure. And when you're ready to do another 52, (laughs) (laughs) give me a call. Absolutely. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Jeff. Well, I hope you have enjoyed that interview as much as I did. And Karen was so wonderful. Uh, We had some uh, opportunities to talk about some other things that maybe we will share with you on a future podcast. But let me just give you my top takeaways from talking with Karen about why humor is so important. First of all, humor has some incredible benefits physically for things like your circulatory system Um, your stress levels, your cortisol levels, as well as psychologically for how you deal with your world. And we often think that humor is just some side benefit 
that helps us to maybe enjoy life a little bit better or uh, to get along a little bit better with other people. But the research shows that humor, that laughing has some incredible physical benefits as well, helping to reduce stress in your life, helping you to deal with physical pain, helping you to deal with depression. And even as amazing as this sounds, and as Karen mentioned, to the level of changing your genetics. That's incredible. The potential to positively influence future generations by finding ways to appreciate and apply humor in your life now. So tap into the benefits of humor. The second thing, uh, you don't have to be funny to have a sense of humor. We often think that, uh, oh, to have a sense of humor, we've got to be the jokester, we've got to be the class clown, or uh, we think that if, if we're not that person that we can't benefit from humor. And Karen mentioned two aspects, what she classified as the two characteristics that make up your HQ or your humor quotient. And the first one is the ability to appreciate humor, to be able to look around at the world and see the things that are funny and appreciate them and laugh at them and enjoy them. And that's something that can be developed. That's something uh, she talked about when you change your habits, when you change your mindset, when you change your perspective, that you begin to open your eyes to the humor in the world around you, you begin to notice it more and more. And so it is an established thinking pattern that you can develop and that you should develop uh, the ability to appreciate humor. And then the second part of that was the application of humor. That's not just about telling jokes, but it is about sharing funny things with other people around you. So open your eyes to the funny things you see every day. Raise your awareness, raise up the antenna, if you will, uh, to be able to see things in life that are funny. There are funny things about life. We just need to be able to tune our quote-unquote radios to that station to be able to appreciate it. Open your eyes to the funny things in life and then share that with other people. You don't want to be that person that's always telling jokes because you think, oh, that's what defines me. That's the person that I have to be. No, but you want to authentically share funny things with people to give them the opportunity to see and experience more joy in their lives. Well, I have appreciated this episode of the Mind for Life podcast. I want to say how much I appreciate you listening. Thank you. I hope it's been enjoyable. I hope it's been informative. Remember, the show notes are at mindforlife.org slash 055. If you found it to be helpful or beneficial in your life, share it with someone else. That's what we're all about here, helping other people to think, learn, and live a little bit better. Thanks again for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.